When we looked at the ten plagues together here last week, I think it was about five chapters of Exodus in one go, we were trying to to get an overview rather than doing a plague by plague thing. We were trying to get a feel of, of what's going on here. What's the point of these plagues? And we realized that it was God teaching a lesson to Pharaoh, to the people of Egypt, to his own people Israel, and to anyone else who was watching on. And the lesson was this, Yahweh, the God of the Israelites, and not Ra, the God of the Egyptians, is the boss, is in control of this world. This morning we're going to slow down a little bit and look in much more detail at the last of the ten plagues. And the story of the tenth plague begins in chapter 11. God sends Moses to Pharaoh one last time, and and his message is recorded for us in verse 4. If you have this passage open before you, this this would help greatly. Exodus 11 and 12, uh, page 68, 69, 70, that sort of area of the Bible. So in chapter 11 and verse 4, we see the message that God sends Moses to take to Pharaoh. This is what the Lord says. About midnight, I'll go throughout Egypt. Every firstborn son in Egypt will die, from the firstborn son of Pharaoh, who sits on the throne, to the firstborn son of the slave girl, who is at her handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle as well. There will be loud wailing throughout Egypt, worse than there ever was or ever will be again. But among the Israelites, not a dog will bark, nor any man or animal. Then you'll know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. All these officials of yours will come to me, bowing before me and saying, Go, you and all of the people who follow you. And after that, I will leave. So this is Moses' message that he takes to Pharaoh. The previous nine plagues, it all had one purpose. We saw this last week. They they were supposed to convince Pharaoh that Yahweh was boss, but but Pharaoh didn't pay attention. And now he's offered one last chance, and it's important that we see that. The final plague, this awful plague, didn't come out of the blue. Again, there was a warning before it happened. Again, there's still time for Pharaoh to bow the knee and repent before Yahweh. When we read this story, Uh, these ten plagues, Pharaoh's intractable stubbornness. I don't know about you, but I read it thinking, goodness, how can Pharaoh be so stubborn? Why doesn't he get it? To, To make a mistake once or twice is fine, but four or five times? Nine times? Now a tenth time? How can he be so stubborn when God has demonstrated this power so clearly? I'm amazed at Pharaoh's unbelief until I reflect on my own capacity to not believe. How slow I can be to take on board the things that God God is challenging me about or teaching me to do. When I read about hardness of heart, I know that Pharaoh's not the last person in the world who had a hard heart from time to time. 
Pharaoh never did heed Moses' final warning. And at God's patience with Pharaoh finally ran out. It's a chilling account at the end of chapter 12, verses 29 to 30, that we read that God did just what he had promised. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on the throne to the firstborn of the prisoner who was in the dungeon, and the firstborn of all the livestock as well. Pharaoh and all his officials got up during the night, and there was loud wailing in Egypt. There wasn't a house without someone dead. It's not until Yahweh deals the killer blow that Pharaoh finally gives in. We read it in verse 31. During the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and he says to him, up and leave my people, you and the Israelites. Go worship the Lord as you've requested. Take your flocks and your herds as you've said and go. Eight months this has taken since the first plague. Eight months, and finally, Pharaoh says the word. The world doesn't easily let people go, but eventually it must. As we've studied Exodus, this salvation story, we're, we're learning here today about God's judgment. And it seems to me that God's judgment is a terrifying thing. I don't want to play that down one little bit. It's a terrifying thing for those who who choose to remain in rebellion against God. In that moment when God's patience runs out, it's an awful thing to fall under the judgment of God. But God's judgment here is also the thing that brings freedom to God's people. And it's always this way. God's judgment in the end, God's judgment on evil and on oppression is good news for those who have suffered at the hands of evil and who have been oppressed. Knowing that God will one day judge the earth can bring a great comfort to us if we take seriously the reality of evil in our world. Folks, it's in the the context of this judgment of God that God's salvation work in in Egypt really reaches its climax. And we're going to spend the rest of our time this morning, just a few minutes, thinking about that. We read about how it's going to work in verse 21. Moses tells the leaders of Israel, go at once, slaughter the Passover lamb, take a bunch of hyssop, dip it into the blood in the basin, and put some of the blood on the top and on both sides of the door frame. Not one of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he'll see the blood on the top and on the sides of the door frame, and he will pass over that doorway. He will not permit the destroyer to enter your house and to strike you down. There's something important that I, I need to flag up for you here in case it's, it's not clear in the passage, and that is that the Passover is not an exclusively Israelite experience. In chapter 12, verse 38, a passage we'll come to in the future, we read that the people who left Egypt 
There were many other people went up with them. That is with the Israelites. It's a mixed crowd that leaves Egypt on the morning after these dreadful events. It's likely that the crowd included Egyptian natives, that it included slaves of other nationalities. It included all those who'd become convinced that Yahweh was God, who'd recognized his power in the, in the plagues and who realized that they wanted to go with him. So the reality is that there were probably Egyptians and Israelites among those who believed and who were part of the Exodus. There were probably Egyptians and Israelites among those who didn't believe and therefore were not part of the Exodus and God's salvation in the Passover. This salvation wasn't meted out strictly along ethnic lines. It was for anyone who wanted to to avail themselves of God's grace and mercy. So all of this asks an important question, and it's the one I want to, to ponder with you for a moment before I close. Would you have been part of the first Passover? Would you have eaten a meal? Would you have packed your bags? Would you have set off the next morning? Don't take for granted that you would. I want you to think about that. Would you have experienced God's salvation? You see, it seems to me that for a person to be a part of that first Passover, that first Exodus crowd, they needed to take two things seriously. They needed to take seriously the the judgment of God. You see, if you don't believe that there's a judgment coming, as as Pharaoh doesn't seem to, then, then you don't respond You live on as as normal as if God doesn't exist, as if you're the boss, as if you're in control, and as if you're entitled to do what you like. God's been patient with Pharaoh. Not once, not twice. Not six times or seven. Ten times he's been patient But in the end, God's response to the stubbornness of Pharaoh is judgment. Folks, maybe you don't like that. Maybe that's not the kind of God that you want to to worship or have anything to do with. It's, It's a little bit Old Testament for your tastes. You look at Jesus. You know how he loved all people how he called us to love one another, how he showed his love by by giving his life on a cross. Folks, do you know if you read the Gospels just straight through, do you know what's the one most common topic that Jesus talks about? That's right. It's, It's the judgment of God. Here's Jesus, the most living, loving person who ever lived, and yet he's willing to talk about judgment. Why does he do that? Because he doesn't want us to experience it. It's for the same reason that I, I have to, to drill our kids when we walk up and down the Newton Ards Road about the danger of the passing cars and buses 
I don't, I don't tell them this to, to spoil their fun. I don't tell them this to rein them in. I tell them this because I love them and I don't want them to experience what I know they might. Jesus talked about judgment a lot because he loves us and he doesn't want us to experience it. And folks, that's the only reason that I'm willing to preach in this way in our church. It's because I want to learn to love you in the way that Jesus loves you and to ensure that you know these things that were so important to him. Would you have been a part of the first Passover crowd? I don't think you would have if you don't take seriously the judgment of God. There's another reality, and it's a wonderful reality that we need to recognize if we're going to know God's salvation. It's that God never, ever leaves us stuck. Judgment is never the last word. Never. Never in the biblical account. There's always a, 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 an option, a, a way out, because God wants to rescue us. He, he wants to save his people. We've just read how that worked out in Egypt here. God provided the, the Passover lamb. God providing the Passover lamb didn't, didn't do the whole job. The people had to respond to that. They had to do the thing that Moses asked them to do, that to take that lamb and to shed its blood, that to take the branch of hyssop and, and put the, the, the blood on, on the doorposts of their house. They had to mark themselves as people who took seriously what God had said. There's nothing passive about this, about receiving God's salvation. We have to enter in. We have to receive actively the salvation that God wants to give us. Friends, it's the same for us today. God hasn't left us without hope. No way. God has done all things that he can to see us rescued. Jesus is our rescuer. Do you know, remember what he's called? Jesus is the Lamb of God. Whenever John the Baptist was preaching early in his ministry and he, he first met this young Galilean preacher, the first time he saw him, he pointed at him. And for these Jews standing around, Jesus says, look, it's the Lamb of God. And they have all this wonderful Passover imagery. They know what a lamb is. The Lamb of God, John says, who takes away the sins of the world. Do you know when Jesus died? Do you know what time of the year it was? It wasn't Easter time or Good Friday. Jesus died on the Passover to identify himself as closely as possible with what we're talking about here. He wanted to let his people know that he'd come to save them that he was their way out, just as the Passover lamb had been in Egypt, so he would be now. Jesus didn't come to save them from political oppression, from slavery in Egypt. He came to save all of us from all that enslaves us, from sin, 
and the death and the judgment of God. Folks, I wonder whether we would have been part of the crowd that set off that next morning, whether we would have eaten of that lamb, whether we would have had that blood on the doorposts of our home, whether we'd have recognized that God and only he can save us. The same questions, very, very real for us today. Have we responded to the Passover lamb, Jesus Christ? This is such an important part of of how God deals with his people that he wanted them never, ever to forget it. And you see that in the passage we read this morning. As soon as these events happen, God tells his people, here's how I want you to remember this. I want you to remember it with a meal. And he gives them this Passover meal and he tells them how and when to celebrate it. Folks, we have a meal. We have a meal that we celebrate to help us remember our salvation, to help us remember that Jesus is the lamb who died for us. In a moment, we're going to eat some bread, drink some wine, and we're going to do this to remember Jesus. Before we do that, we're going to sing together a song that allows us to remember Jesus as the lamb of God. Behold the lamb who bears our sin away, slain for us, and we remember the promise made that all who come in faith find forgiveness at the cross. Let's stand together as we sing of the Lamb of God. Mm -hmm.